This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast with me, Jen Gale. Uh, Lovely to have you here as always. Thank you so much for tuning in. How are you all feeling? Uh, Post-COP? If you're feeling a little bit confused or cop-fused, I love that, Um, then uh, tune in next week. I'm going to be having a chat with amazing Laura who did our beginner's guide to COP26 for us, um, pre-COP, and uh, uh, getting her, she's very kindly agreed to come back in and to fill us all in on uh, how it all was, what actually goes on in the blue zone, um, and I get to get her take on um, the sort of outcomes of that. So looking forward to that next week. But for this week, we are talking all things healthcare and climate. And at first glance, I think maybe healthcare in the NHS might not seem to be particularly linked to the climate crisis. And doesn't the NHS have enough on its plate anyway at the moment without being expected to kind of green itself? But it was really so interesting to um, chat to GPs, Dr. Fran Kundal and Dr. Matthew Sawyer about sustainability and healthcare and how kind of interlinked they are and how they really do impact on each other so that a lot of uh, climate actions like driving less, eating more plant-based food can lead to healthier people and to better health outcomes and also the impact that the healthcare system itself has on the climate. There are so many great stats in this and I've, I've just sort of pulled a few out and I've popped them into the show notes. But actually the NHS itself is the biggest employer in the UK and emits about 4% of the UK's total emissions. And primary care, which is what we're specifically focused on in this episode, so GPs, is about 25% of of the NHS. So it was really fascinating to hear about the impacts that that our healthcare has on the planet and how um, actually, you know, that the the NHS is working and, and GPs are working to sort of reduce those impacts and how we can actually... Um, have an impact on the NHS in terms of keeping ourselves healthier and all those kinds of things. So I really hope that that you're with me in finding this absolutely fascinating and um, you really enjoy listening to this. I thought Fran and Matt were both really passionate, really engaging. So many great points that they came up with. Um, some great resources that they mentioned as well. Um, for, you know, whether you're a healthcare professional or not, I think this is a really interesting thing. And all of those resources I've popped into the show notes. So do go and check those out. 
So have a little listen. Let me know what you think. Drop me an email, jen at sustainableish.co.uk um, or just find me on social media at sustainableish. Um, you know, and if you enjoy this episode, then as ever, please do share it uh, with friends and family, with colleagues. Um, and if you do have time, a little rating or a review wherever you get your podcast is always hugely appreciated. So I will catch you next week. And in the meantime, enjoy. Hello both. Welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast. I'm really looking forward to diving into this one. I think it's a nice big meaty one for us to get our teeth into. Um, So let's kick off by asking you to introduce yourselves. Fran, can you go first? Yes, no problem. My name is Fran. I am a GP in North Sheffield. Um, I got involved with a group called Greener Practice uh, early last year, 2020. And since then has just become more and more um, involved and engaged with um, helping uh, on a smaller scale our personal GP practice and on a larger scale the NHS uh, in general and become more green and I say that in inverted commas so looking at um, ways we can help reduce our carbon footprint um, and, and kind of work in a more sustainable way with the core of it being better patient care. Yeah. And so I'm just a jobbing GP who has got um, one afternoon a week uh, for a year to look more at this. Um, But there are loads and loads of GPs all around the country and other healthcare professionals um, working in this sphere. So we wanted to. um, It's really exciting today to have a chat with you about what we're doing. And yeah. Um, So you said you've got one afternoon a week. Is that are you doing this on a voluntary thing or have your practice freed up some time for you, some paid time? So, yeah, that's a really good question. The vast majority of healthcare professionals doing this are doing it voluntarily in their own time, evenings, weekends. Um, I uh, qualified in 2018. So I'm what you call a first five GP and there's um, a number of fellowships available to us. So I applied and got uh, what's called a fellowship, which is a very posh sounding term for um, one afternoon paid a week. Um, and it was it's very self-directed. So um, GPs can do this in a clinical area. They could become um, get do it in education. They could do it in academic research. And I've chosen to do it in leadership. And the aspect I have chosen to do is greener practice. So I've kind of formed it myself so that I can get a paid session with so I can pay for some childcare and um, have time to do this work. But um, the vast majority don't. And this is all yeah. extra on top of um, the clinical work that we're doing. And you just mentioned childcare, and and um, I know listeners won't be able to see it, but there's some brilliant pictures your kids have done behind <laughs> you. I think. So, how old are your kids? I have four. They are eight, six, four, and eighteen months. And this was uh, our lockdown artwork wall that has just Aww. expanded um, over over time. So wow. we'll just we, we. I think it brings me lots of joy. So I just keep it there. <laughs> and were you into all things sustainability before you entered the medical profession or what was your no no not well I say no with a definite it wasn't a definite no it has um, interesting become more on my radar when I saw some your eco-parenting book um, oh, and I think I, I reached out to you actually because at that time um we 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 I have an e-bike that I commute on to work wow. my husband has an electric car we um recycle things we reduce meeting our day. we made a lot of personal changes mm. in our lives to be more eco-friendly um but I would say over the last 12 to 18 months probably 18 months it's become much more part of my work life mm. I think prior to um watching the webinars some fantastic webinars that we can discuss that Greener Practice oh. did I wasn't really aware of it within the healthcare sphere. Um, and I think a lot of healthcare professionals still aren't. Um, so on a personal level, I have we have 
been making changes in our personal life for a few years, but definitely the past 18 months, um, it's, it's uh, been a focus of, of my clinical work as well. And I think that's such a, a great point to pick up on in that a lot of us feel quite disempowered or, you mm. know, as individuals, what can we do and all that kind of thing. And we forget that we're, we're all part of other organisations, whether that's our workplaces or whether that's, you know, the kids scout group or schools or whatever. And that actually um, we can have an influence on those things and possibly even a greater influence than some of the individual changes that we're making. So, um, yeah, I would really urge people to think about what their sort of influences are. You know, I outside complete, of the home completely well. agree, Jen. Yeah. And I think one thing I would add to that, um, obviously, my own experiences of being as a healthcare professional is in general, we're a very trusted profession. You know, mm. when they bring out the tables of um, <laughs> the professions um, that are trustworthy and not so trustworthy. And I think we have really important voices. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things we discuss a lot within the kind of greener practice groups is, oh, how, how does me having recycling bins in my practice make a difference? But it does because, you you know, you then tell your patients, oh, pop yeah. that in the recycling bin or, um, you know, you, 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 the reception staff are now putting their yeah, uh, yeah, things yeah. in the recycle bin rather than they go home and they spread the word. And, and I think um, on a that's on a, a small scale, on a larger scale as a collective healthcare mm. professionals making a lot of noise about this and the NHS, you know, promising to become net zero is has a massive impact um, yeah, so I think more, it's really important we all make our voices heard definitely the more directions we're sort of getting these subliminal or or not non-subliminal messages from I think the the more normal it makes it for everyone doesn't it exactly um, right Matt we haven't forgotten you can you introduce yourself <laughs> uh, absolutely not a problem uh, so I'm Matt I'm a, a GP I live in North Yorkshire um, and I um, do part-time GP work but my real focus, my real passion and enthusiasm is more about systems change and looking at the healthcare system and particularly primary care and how we can reduce our environmental impact so that we can have better outcomes for the patient, better outcomes for our staff and better outcomes for the uh, for the planet. Um, and I do that for more of the week than I do as a GP <laughs> at the moment. Because I think it's a, it's a big, it's an important topic. Um, we've got some great national leadership with things like uh, Greener NHS. Um, but I feel that general practice doesn't have quite the same um, guide <coughs> as mm. there is in sort of secondary care in hospitals. So oh, okay. we've got some great leadership in hospitals um, and we've got some fantastic GPs that we can talk about, people who've set up, for example, Greener Practice. Um but actually, we need to be, I think, in primary care doing a bit more because we get to see 90% of, uh, of healthcare appointments mm. with general practice. Actually, yeah. there's, there's a million appointments a day in general wow. practice. This is a huge number. And actually, a little bit of influence and in saying we're doing these things to benefit your, mm. uh, your care or your outcomes or your health actually puts us in a really really strong and powerful position to uh to justify why we do what we do and uh, and to make more of a change more of a difference so you touched on loads of things there that i want to dive into but how how give us an idea of that like we all, we all know the nhs we're all you know um very fond of the nhs i think as a nation how big is the nhs how many employees have they got do you know so yeah so the whole of the nhs has about 1.3 million uh, employees uh, across um, clin clinicians, doctors, nurses, physios, etc., mm. uh, managers, people that run the hospitals, people that run primary care. So a huge, huge, huge uh, uh, workforce. And to put that um, in perspective, like 
is that are they the biggest employer in the in the country or yep yep or? i think i think that they're the biggest employer in the country and i wow. think the fourth biggest in the world i think it's something wow. like the, the the chinese army and the the indian <laughs> railway or something are, are bigger uh, but in terms of potential um you know if every if each one if each yeah. of the 1.3 million people did something yeah. actually the impact would be huge from a carbon point of view the uh, the whole country generates depending on which figures you you mm. go for three four five hundred million uh, tons a year um the nhs is about 25 million so about four percent of the uh, the total carbon emissions for the country is from the nhs and Do, of the, sorry say that again so the, the total emissions for the uk are what in the region of it depends on which yeah. figures you use three or four hundred million tons right. a year and the and nhs is about 25 million tons so it's about four percent of wow. the uh, of the whole um and primary care is about 25 percent of the nhs in terms of their footprint Oh, okay. um, so we as GPs are responsible for about 5.75 million tonnes. So this is it, it is big numbers. Um, and we know that there's harm uh, caused from these emissions. Um, and that's really, I think, why we want to do something about improving patient outcomes, but doing it without as much. Uh, I was going to say, you know, that's one of the things like. Um playing devil's advocate for a little minute you know like well, well why is the NHS bothering about this surely the NHS has got bigger things to worry about surely you know GPs especially I think are on their knees um you know in the same way teaching profession is and all that kind of thing after the last 18 months two years you know do, do you do you find a little bit from from people within the profession that they're like really like you want us to think about this now like Fran have you found that in your practice yeah I think that is a very big barrier um but on the flip side, um, there is a lot of kind of co-benefits. So mm. for example, as a small example, say we look at this with our sustainability hats on and we say, right, let's look at patient travel and how patients get into the practice. And can we um, put a, an advert out as to which, which bus routes patients can get and can we encourage walking and can we get a bike lock up and all that kind of thing. Um, try and encourage patients to use their car less. Okay, great. Then the co-benefits, so that's with your sustainability hat, but then from your medical point of view, okay, get them to use a car less, walk more, maybe they might, um, that, that gives them better, uh, you know, more physical activity, mm. you might lose some weight, you might be at lower risk of diabetes, you might be lower risk of heart attacks and strokes. And, and so actually it improves the patient's health, mm. it prevents them getting further complications, which cost time, money and uh, carbon from mm. the NHS mm. in terms of, you know, I'm sure Matt will have the figures for the care for someone with diabetes. But, um, yeah. you know, so a lot of Whilst we do get a lot of pushback in terms, which I, I completely understand, I mean, GPs, as you well said, are, are running to the ground. We are very, 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 very busy. And sometimes you think it's the last thing to worry about. Actually, yeah. it is probably the most important thing to worry about, because actually, if you look at things with a sustainability hat on, it's looking at prevention. Mm. It's looking at reducing use of medications. And I'm sure we will come on to that. But, you know, using other forms so for example with um, mental health a lot of anxiety and kind of low level depression really responds well to what we call green prescribing and that's um prescribing um open air green spaces I, I say to patients even if you just stand on your doorstep for a couple of minutes and if you're lucky enough to have a garden or if you've got a green space near you and you know that can be really beneficial to your mental health so in terms of the sustainability hat, looking at the prevention of, mm. of illnesses actually then reduces the workload further down the line yeah. for the NHS and reduces complications and improves patient health. Um, so I think 
yes, I think I think there's a lot of work to be done. And what we are in our in our sphere of green practice pushing for is paid time for clinicians mm-hmm. to do this work. Because like you say, we have paid time to do our clinical work and we do not have any more time or capacity to do this yeah. kind of sustainability work. But actually, this should be core to the NHS plans going forward, which it is with the net zero promises and things. But um, yeah, I think I think it is as important. And, and I can see the perspective of the GPs who are working as we all are very, very hard, but equally, I, I think it does need to be up there as a priority because I think in, in the long term, it will lessen workload because um, hopefully yeah. patients kind of prevent the problems occurring before yeah. they do. Matt, you put, your, you put your hand up. Yeah, can I? I know, I know. <laughs> and nobody on the podcast can see that I've got a hand. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and to build on exactly what Fran has said, um, I suspect that Jen, you may well have read There's No mm. Planet B by Mike Berners-Lee. Fantastic book. So, um in terms of co-benefits, there's a there's a, uh, a diagram in that book which says that for one mile travelled across a town or a city in a diesel car, you take away 12 minutes of life from the surrounding community. Wow. So that's one mile. So that five mile round trip to the to the doctors, the uh, uh, the school, the supermarket is one hour of life for one car wow. doing one journey. Now, actually, you start multiplying that up. And so I've done some work with. Um, with practices and you can work out their cumulative staff or their cumulative patient travel and this is easily quarter of a million miles half a million miles Mm. across a year so actually if you start thinking uh, if that's half a million miles that's not only sort of 50 tons of carbon dioxide but it's also three four five six seven years of life being removed from the community just by staff getting from A to B or, or patients getting from A to B. So in terms of co-benefits, even at an, at an individual level or at a practice level, they can be huge. On a bigger scale, in the UK, we have between five and 600,000 deaths a year. We've obviously had a lot of COVID deaths over the last mm. 18 months, but roughly between half a million and 600,000. The Lancet had a paper out this year that said that we could prevent 125,000 of those, a quarter of them, if we uh, met our current uh, climate goals. So this isn't about doing anything more than we've already promised to do. So this is things like changing diet so that we have more flexitarian diets, more plant-based, less meat-based, that we do more uh, physical activity so that the active travel, the the walking instead of being in a car, uh, from air pollution, improved air quality. So actually, we might say, um, why should we be doing this from a health point of view? But a quarter of all deaths could be prevented. That Mm -hmm. is huge. So for me, this isn't about doing more. It's about doing what we do, but just doing it differently. Yeah. So globally, for example, 13% of asthma is caused by traffic fumes. So actually, I'd far rather not have 13% of people with asthma. Not 13% of of people, but I'd I'd far rather that we didn't have the asthmatics in the first place Mm. so that we didn't need to see them in uh, in the surgery because they weren't ill, so we didn't need treatment. So Mm. suddenly we think that, you know, or I think that the lowest carbon asthmatic is the one who isn't asthmatic, the one who doesn't need to go to hospital with uh, an uh, exacerbation of asthma. The lowest carbon diabetic is the person who doesn't have diabetes. So yeah, actually, yeah, if we yeah. can prevent it, um, that's far, far better for the patient. It's better not to have any of these mm, things. It's yeah. far better for the health service for patients not to have any of these things. Yeah. Um, and if it's far better for the planet as well, well, why aren't we doing them? Mm, yeah. Um, so you sort of mentioned the NHS is, I think you said, 4% of, of the UK's emissions. 
so where where are those we've, we've talked about you know patient transport and we've talked about staff transport and things which I think is probably something that that most of us if we were asked where do the NHS emissions come from might might come up with but where who I don't know who wants to volunteer to come in on this but who, where are, where are those emissions coming from Matt's Matt's looking very happy and Fran's pointing to him <laughs> um absolutely so the um, so the NHS, the Greener NHS, had a, a net zero um, uh, announcement October uh, 2020 about the ambition to reach net zero. And it was really looking at all of the different hotspots. Was that so, by 2030? What's that? When's that? The 20, when's your net zero goal? Uh, well, it, there's two different bits to it. Um, so it's not quite as straightforward as a single date. So there's mm. the, the bits that the NHS is in control of. So things like anaesthetic gases, things like uh, building energy, and it set a target for 2032. Brilliant. For the supply chain, which mm. is the bits that are outside of the NHS's control, so where it gets its medicines from, where it mm. gets its equipment from, which is the biggest footprint, it's given itself uh, a bit longer to do um, and that's really because it has to work with uh, with suppliers in the yeah. supply chain. And, and that is a much slower moving uh, beast, as it were. Mm. From a general practice point of view, about 60 percent of the emissions are from medicines of one sort or another, including inhalers. And about how, four- I, I don't like I used to be a vet. And, you know, so, so and a lot of this is a conversation that, you know, we're starting to have in the veterinary profession, which is amazing like a lot of people well how does a medicine have a carbon impact i don't understand absolutely so uh so oops just to finish that sentence that Sorry. 40, <laughs> so 60 percent is medicines and inhalers 40 percent is the running of the building or running right. of the practice so it's the travel it's the energy use it's the it's the goods and procurement of, that aren't medicines mm. so from a from an inhaler's point of view that's relatively straightforward there's propellant gases in the canisters that uh, deliver the medication mm. um in what's called meter dose inhalers and these are the ones that people often refer to as 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 a puffer mm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you press the top stuff squirts out and Mm. that's what you're meant to try and breathe in uh, if you're asthmatic or or got a lung disease so the gas that is used within those is a very powerful fluorinated gas which has got a lot of global warming potential it's a greenhouse gas um, and it 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 makes up quite a large proportion of um, the general practice footprint so there are alternative types of inhalers that don't contain these gases Um, there are called dry powder inhalers or soft mist inhalers that um that don't need a propellant gas and these are uh, far easier to use to be to be honest they are far more effective uh, because they get used properly um, and they don't have any of the the damaging gas within it but we can talk a bit more about inhalers in a sec in terms of the uh medicines it's how they're made so if you imagine making a pill or a tablet or, or, or a liquid or an antibiotic or a blood pressure tablet or whatever, um, these are made in manufacturing facilities that use energy, they use raw mm. materials, they have packaging, they have distribution networks, and all of those have uh, carbon or greenhouse gas uh, emissions associated with them. So the energy, for example, for running um, a pharmaceutical manufacturing plant is quite high. The heating, ventilation and uh, cooling uh, systems are quite high. Um, the mining to get the materials in the first place, say if they're petrochemical based. Mm. So all of that gets added up. And uh, so that's the running of well, any of the, the pharmaceutical companies. That, uh, and, and so that makes up the, uh, the, the footprint of, um, of the medicines and, yeah. and chemicals that we use. 
gosh, and that's 60%. 60% of primary care. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the other thing that like hadn't occurred to me until, you know, I was um, sort of talking to people in the veterinary profession um, and, and, and obviously it's not so um, applicable to primary care, but in terms of anaesthetic gases, they're, they're all really potent greenhouse gases, aren't they? And um, so, you know, there's, uh, and I'm sure it's the same in, in human medicine, all sorts of new protocols that are coming out that eliminate the use of, in the veterinary profession, we used to use a lot of nitrous oxide, um, you know, and uh, low, using lower flow rates and things like that. So um, things that, that we might not all think about. And you mentioned um, Mike Berners-Lee's book, um, but his other book, How Bad Are Bananas? I think he actually gives the carbon footprint of, of a heart surgery or something like that, doesn't he? He kind of goes through and he, and, and you just think, God, yeah, it would never have occurred to me that all these things um, have actually, a footprint. There was a very good uh, study between the carbon footprint of doing a cataract operation in the UK um, and doing the same operation uh, in countries overseas, particularly uh, in this example, India. Mm. So in the UK, the footprint is about 180 kilos right. for, the, for one cataract operation. In India, it's one twentieth of that. Wow. So it's an absolute fraction. And when you look at the outcome data in terms of success rates and infection rates, it's lower in India than it is in the UK. So we have more carbon emissions, more greenhouse gas emissions, uh, more plastic waste and uh, mm, more single mm. use waste and worse outcome for patients. Yeah. Yeah. Hang, hang on. This, this isn't something that we should be allowing. <laughs> we should be either be going for, you know, the, the best for the patients, yeah. which is this alternate system, or the best for the planet, which is the alternate system, or the best financially, which is the yeah. alternate system. Um, and you just think, well, why aren't these changes being made? And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of blocks and barriers that, uh, that are stopping us. Mm. But you really do think that we could do um, far, far, far better than we are at the moment. And absolutely, on the anaesthetic gases, there's some great work going on in secondary care at the moment in hospitals looking mm. at uh, nitrous oxide reduction. Um, there was one hospital that realised that 90% of their nitrous oxide that they were buying was just disappearing into the, uh, into the atmosphere through leaks in the pipes. And so suddenly they were spending a lot of money on buying something that was never getting any patient benefit and yeah. only harming the planet. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I, I think, think that, you know. cost savings to be had as well in using lower yeah. flow rates and things like that, aren't there? So, um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Fran, I mean, Matt mentioned the, you know, just the, the thing about inhalers. Mm. How easy is that within a practice to change something like that, to say to everyone, can we just use these ones instead? Yeah. Like, because people have their habitual things that, that they're tried and tested and they like and their their patients know and all that kind of thing is that something that you can just as a practice say no we're going to start using these ones or how does that work absolutely that's a really good question and um, is currently being deba debated in many areas so um there's a really good visual um template of the two different inhalers so there's the puffer spray inhalers that matt spoke about and matt will probably correct me with the numbers but it's something like the, it's the equivalent of driving a car I know that it's a London to Sheffield because I'm from Sheffield so I've seen the, the visual <laughs> so it's a hundred and something odd miles that's the equivalent carbon footprint of it and then the um dry powder of one inhaler four, from one inhaler one is 127 miles is it Matt? 175 okay so just go. to be clear this isn't to make asthmatics feel guilty but no, this is just to demonstrate. Absolutely. The, the, not um, at all. Yeah. And then the um, dry powder ones is um, a four mile uh, equivalent of a four wow. mile journey in a car. So a bit of London to another bit of London. But as you quite rightly identified, Jen, um, this is not at all. A a asthma is an awful disease. And sadly, as Matt said, 
contributed to a lot by air pollution mm. um, and everyone must take the inhalers they are prescribed we are not at all advocating or advising that anybody stops their inhalers on the basis of listening to this yes, um, yeah, yeah. with all inhaler switches they're done in consultation with patients mm. um, at every um the, the two inhalers have a different technique um, as matt said actually the, the dry powder ones the non-puffer ones are actually easier to use um, but what we would advise is speaking to your practice now um in general practice, there's just in the last week or two been um, published a greener inhaler guide. Oh, wow. So it might be that you approach your practice and they don't have a clue what you're talking about because this is all fairly new. And, yeah. it's, and it's well known in my sphere because I've been working in this area yeah, for yeah. a while. And, and, and some fantastic GPs have worked on this and it's in, in conjunction with asthma charities and um, the RCGP. So um, I would advise all asthma patients to keep taking their current medications. But what I do advise every patient I speak to is to return their inhalers to the pharmacy. When you throw an inhaler in the bin, the greenhouse gases that are in it get sent to landfill, mm. incinerated, however they dispose of your yeah, yeah, yeah. waste in your area. If you take it to the pharmacy, they get um, some areas have recycling schemes. Unfortunately, we don't have any up where I am at the oh, moment. Okay. Um, and others incinerate them. And this apparently reduces the impact of those greenhouse gases. So the first thing I say to patients with any medications, uh, but especially inhalers, is to return to the pharmacy. Um, and then, um, yeah, the other thing would be to speak to you, to, to um, either a healthcare professional about, about the inhalers. But mm. we are doing switches. And um, in Sheffield, there's a blanket switch from one brand of blue inhaler to another band of brand of blue inhaler, um, which is an identical inhaler. It's just a different band, brand with half the carbon footprint. Oh, wow. um, so that can be done on a more generic basis. We've changed the name of your inhaler to this. It is right. the same medication, okay. it's the same technique. But if you were going to change a patient from the puffer spray inhalers to a dry powder one, it would definitely be a consultation. Um, the, the, there's a lot to be done, said for the dry powder one. So in Sweden, 80% of the population asthmatic patients use them. Oh, so wow. this is an, it's only 10% in the UK. So this is not... They, they are as effective. They are, you know, they, they're not a, a lesser medication. It's just a cultural thing that in this, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've used the asthma sprays. Um, and and I, th I think there's a lot that um, patients or general public, I should just say patients, are unaware of. So, for example, the NHS, as, 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 as was said before, it, it has a major role as a contributor mm. in, 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 in the UK's carbon footprint. And I think there was um, a recent study, actually, I just saw um, on one of my emails, an Ipsos Mori study this year, um, that was saying there's a, a high levels of concern about, about the health impacts of climate change. It's been in the news with COP, mm, it was in the news mm. with the young girl who died in London with the yes. uh, air pollution on, on her death certificate. Um, <clears throat> however, addressing climate change, the public is, is low down on the public's priority for the NHS. The NHS should be about healthcare. But actually, there's there's quite a lot of broad public support for the NHS reducing its carbon footprint. And as, as we've said today, I think it's awareness. Mm. Every patient I've spoken to about returning their inhalers did not have any idea that they had greenhouse gases. Yes. In them, yeah, 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 there are carbons in them. Yeah, yeah. Did not have any idea that throwing them away half full would be having any impact. Mm. Um, and they're all, all been very pleasantly surprised and very willing to take on that small step. Um, so I think a lot of it is about awareness from the general public but awareness from gps as well and i was going to give a little plug and i know we'll probably mention it at, at the end because if there are any health care professionals listening to this they might think mm, where do i find out more but there's um the greener practice have a website and on there there is a section for patients and there's a whole huge section of resources for oh, healthcare amazing. professionals 
Um, so, um, I mean, I don't want to get too fixated on inhalers, but just so mm. if anyone's listening who is asthmatic and currently uses a puffer one, they mm. can go to their GP and ask to discuss yeah. whether or not it's suitable for them to switch. Yes, absolutely. And if the GP looks at them completely clueless, <laughs> if they direct them to the Greener Practice website, there oh, are no. links on there Brilliant. and advice and guidance on there. And that's just um, greenerpractice.co.uk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that that is definitely something um, if you get a... Uh, uh, a green-minded GP they might know all about it um but yeah that would yeah. be my advice um, and and the other thing as as we mentioned is other medications so mm. a couple of other things um that that I advise patients is when you're on repeat medications so there may be medications you get every month yeah. is only ordering the ones you need yeah the amazing amount of home visits I've been to where you have cupboards full yeah. and full of medications um people just automatically order every month the same with inhalers the, the blue ones are supposed to be used when you need them Ideally, if you have good asthma control, it's you only need three and uh, maximum of three inhalers a year of the blue right. ones. People get them every month and just, yeah. you know, and as, as Matt said, there's a huge carbon footprint in the production of medications and then all the waste if you just throw them in the bin with all the plastic packaging yeah, and everything. Yeah. So some something in terms of medication load is asking your GP if if they're all necessary. Are there yeah. could you reduce some? Are there other things like I spoke about with the mental health, whilst there is a very, very important role for antidepressant medication mm. and it's absolutely appropriate for a lot of people. There are a lot of on other non-medication options to help people with their mental yeah. health. You know, if if um there's 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 um medications for all sorts of conditions, but again, could could they be reduced down? Could you stop if, yeah, if you're wanting yeah, yeah. to stop? Um, and um, yeah, not over ordering ones you don't need. Yeah. Matt, are <laughs> there any stats really- on that, on the, the percentage of medicines that are sort of wasted by people not using uh, them once they've been? Well, just on just on inhalers, just a few stats on that. 73 million inhalers are prescribed in the UK each year. 73 oh. million. That's a huge number. Um, times that by 100 miles for our trip up to, up to <laughs> Green, yeah. Well, yes. So, um the inhaler technique is really, really important. It doesn't matter which inhaler you give to somebody if they don't know how to use it properly. Right, yeah, yeah. So the Asthma UK website has got some fantastic demonstration videos. So whichever inhaler you have, I would use mm. that. And I tell I tell my patients to, to copy exactly, mirror, mimic, mm. do exactly what they, they're doing on the, uh, on the video so you can get it right for you. Mm. So whichever inhaler that you have, you know that the, the, the medication is actually ending up in Getting your lungs where it needs, where it needs to, to be, be. Um, because better respiratory care is far better for the patient, far better for the planet. Mm-hmm. We want both. It's not yeah. that, we, that we're trading one off against another. Um, in terms of uh, amount of medication, uh, I've got vague recollections that it's sort of 30 or 40 percent of the medication that we prescribe isn't taken, certainly no. in terms of, oh, it's, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the number of people who are forgetful or don't take the medication, there's, there's a whole host of reasons why mm. people may not take medication. But absolutely, if you're going to take it, brilliant. If you're not going to take it, don't order it in the first place. Mm. You know, I, I not from a carbon point of view, but just I, I think of the poor people who've been working away for, you know, 40 hours a week in the in the factory making the medication. Yeah. And then people just put their thing in the bin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To me, it's like food waste. You know, I, I, I wouldn't really like to be a farmer up at sort of five or six in the morning, mm. you know, ploughing the fields and things, if I knew the people at the other end would just yeah, kind of put yeah, it straight yeah. in the bin. Yeah. That, that would frustrate me hugely. Yeah. And so the same from the medication point of view. So absolutely, I think only order the medication that you actually uh, actually take, but don't uh, don't stop the medication without that discussion with uh, with your GP. And I was, as with all medications, I think you're you're supposed to return them 
you know, to the pharmacy for them to be disposed of appropriately, aren't you, rather than sort of sticking them in your landfill bin or whatever? Yeah. And don't flush them down the toilet. Oh, wow. Because that goes, oh, I think there's been studies about the level of um, kind of um, hormone levels and medication levels in water supplies Mm. and then all go out, you know, to the to the oceans but yeah definitely don't put them down the toilet okay. um, but yeah return to pharmacy would be the best Brilliant. yeah ne- never down the kitchen sink never down the toilet yeah mm. um so you've both talked about the the greener practice um sort of initiative <laughs> i don't know who wants to dive in and just explain kind of what that is and how it all started shall i matt it started in big shout to the hometown okay. <laughs> um, so it was just a couple of gps who um uh, Dr. Artie Bansell was was the founding member. Um, it's now chaired by Honey Smith and, and Mike Thompson's also involved. And they, um, I, I heard her the other day. She was on the radio Sheffield, and she was saying it was a conversation around a kitchen table or a pub tub table, saying, you know, we need to do a bit more about this. And you know, it, it was about three or four years ago, and it was just um, a couple of them who met um, initially, and it's just exploded. So now we have. Um, national representations so there's groups all around the country forming in all the different areas there are six um specialist kind of sub areas there's one on respiratory particularly right. that's a big area um there's one on education kind of working with medical students and getting into mm. medical students curriculums there's one on carbon specifically there's one on or working with organizations as i'm sure you're aware the nhs is very political <laughs> and um yeah, okay. and so <clears throat> there's many people above us who decide mm. where the money gets spent and it's working with them yeah. to make sure um kind of directing that um so we have so it's yeah available to any healthcare professionals each area itself has meetings um ours are about every four to six weeks looking at just different areas and aspects we lobby our um not lobby probably the one where we, we kind of uh, are trying to get representation at the higher levels of the political levels of the right. nhs of which there are many and don't ask me to explain them um yeah. and um and work at producing guidance and um, Artie's produced this, this um, inhaler guidance that we just spoke about. It's just a group of really lovely, like-minded people. It's really supportive. And that's how I got, I literally went along to a virtual meeting. It was then because it was COVID and have been just bowled along by the enthusiasm and support. Um, there was a few up at, um, representatives up at the COP um, uh, conference in Glasgow um, and I think if any healthcare professionals are listening to this, I was going to say my, my kind of bits of advice for them are have a little look at the website. If there's in someone in your local area, like join a group, they are mm. just absolutely, I mean, you can just join and listen. It, it's lovely. Right. We had uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the other week, we had some voluntary organizations. So the Wildlife Trust um, came to speak to us and then um, another voluntary organization is trying to set something up locally. Um, but the other thing to talk about is the Green Impact for Health Toolkit. Um, and this was set up by Terry Kemple, who works for the Royal College of GPs. And this is um, 100 plus items, ideas of things you can do in wow. your practice to become more eco-friendly. Split into uh, a few, I think about nine or eight or nine different areas. So there's water, there's medicines, Ooh. there's energy. Um, and this is also how I got involved in my previous practice. You can get um, tick them off. And when you tick them off, you get points and you can oh, get a bronze, silver, gold. And then I think the top one might be carbon now. Oh, wow. um, And they go from like, you know, double-sided recycling or yes. um, signs to turn the lights off up to doing an audit of your asthma inhalers, mm. calling in all the patients who are, um, you know, using them very frequently to look at their asthma care mm. and supporting them with that, you know, uh, looking at changing your energy supply. There's, there's, there's something for everyone. There's, 
Um, our practice joined. We've now got recycling bins. I cycle, so I got them to put a bike lock up for me and a cycle to work scheme um, through to I'm trying to lobby management about getting a green energy supplier and um, I'm, I'm trying to get them to declare a climate emergency and write a green plan. So there's a spectrum of things that mm. can be done. Um, so, yeah, the, the Green Impact Health Toolkit and the Greener Practice website, I would say if you're healthcare professionals, especially in primary care, interested in this area, they're really good resources. And that's where I got started. Yeah. I think I would add to that that there's about 7000 UK GP practices. And no, over... that doesn't sound enough. You're probably going to say it isn't. There isn't enough. Um, There's the problem, Jen. Yes, absolutely. Uh, We keep getting promised about 6,000 new GPs, but uh, they don't grow on trees. No. Um, So out of of that 7,000 practices, I think there's about 1,200 signed up to the Green Impact for Health scheme now. So you will not be alone. You know, there is a lot of help, a lot of support, a lot of other people doing it as well. And it's one of these, I think actually we should um, make this the norm that, you know, there's a, you know, 15, 20% of, of practices signed up to this now. Well, actually, that's huge, you know, and it's almost mm. we're at the stage of saying, why aren't, why aren't you signed you? up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so this is, you know, the social norm is for, for more people and more practices to be involved. Um, and so absolutely, Green Impact for Health website, um, it, yeah, make use of it because it, it's there and it's a great resource. And, and the Green greener Practice groups are very, very, very supportive and will, will help uh people who are at the beginning of their journey mm. to sort of find their feet and to take their first steps before so it, uh, before they can start running and, and, and cycling yeah if, if I mean I don't obviously don't know how many healthcare professionals we might have who might be listening but um you know if you're listening and you're say a receptionist or you know uh, how do we empower people because I can imagine if you're a partner in a GP surgery you might feel that you have um a bit more clout to come in and say, right, come on guys, let's do this. Or, you know, you're at your partner's meeting and trying to get everybody sort of on board and things. But you might feel if you're, um, you know, maybe say the part-time receptionist or something like that, that, that you kind of just gonna get um, ignored if you come in and, and make these kinds of suggestions. Is, is that, you know, how, how can people go about introducing the concept, whatever level they're at within a practice to, I don't know whether it has to be to senior management or how, how do we kind of get practices on board if we're working within one at whatever level? Uh, well, I could start with that. I, I would say that there are two or three approaches. For me, everybody is important. Mm. So it is not, you know, the partner may not be the one who is making sure that recycling is happening, make sure, mm. making sure that the lights are turned off, making sure that um, all of the all of the things that need to be done each day, all of the behaviour changes. So actually, if you've got um, a practice with 50 staff, it's mm. all 50 staff, I think, that need to be involved. Yeah. And that, Actually, when you talk to staff, one will have uh, an enthusiasm about walking or cycling. Somebody mm. else will have an enthusiasm about water or about ocean health or yes. about biodiversity or wildlife or plastics. Mm. Make use of that. Yeah. Actually, if somebody if somebody wants to take on um, putting and making sure that all of the recycling happens or making sure that uh, people are responsible for their energy use in their room um, goes ahead. Brilliant. Let them do mm. it. So uh, for me, I think that, you know, the senior partners or um practice managers are sometimes there just to enable it happening Mm. Um, and actually it's the ideas come from everybody else so so one option is that everybody says yep this is part my responsibility I need to do something about Mm. it the other is uh, actually you can be slightly more rebellious um, and do it anyway so if somebody says uh, so sometimes people I think wait for permission to do things rather than just doing it so for me I would say talk to your colleagues about you know how you're printing how you're ordering mm. things 
whether you're turning the lights off, all the rest of it. Yes. Just do it. You know, we, we can't stand around and wait for uh, for, for everybody to, to allow us, in inverted commas, to do it. It's thinking I, I about think... those things that are kind of within your control, isn't it? Like I've, we've been yeah, talking a lot um, in my audience about Christmas at the moment. And, you know, and there's there's lots of things that are out of our control in terms of what the in-laws are buying, the kids and all that kind of thing. But there are lots of things that are in our control. Um, and so kind of focusing on them and, and like you said, not almost not waiting for permission and just sort of going ahead and doing it anyway I think I think that's really key Jen as well from um I was going to say one thing we uh it's advi- advised uh, you know recommended is, is getting a bit of a green team together mm. as well and in, in our practice me and actually a partner so I do feel I've got that bit of clout I'm not a partner by the way but the, one of the partners <laughs> is really involved on this um have got that clout but we are desperately trying to get some reception and not desperately they're fantastic I, I gave mm. a presentation about this of some fantastic ideas one lady's looked into getting a milkman one of the receptionists and oh, um, one of the other ladies um has, has already set up um there's a, a fantastic uh, baby charity in, in mm. Sheffield and, and a collection to send things yeah. there um and and actually suddenly like Matt says out of the woodwork people with all these other skills and areas of interest to come out and actually so if you were a receptionist kind of suggesting a formation of a green team as such mm. just could we have one of the medics represented please and, and one of yes. the managers and, and I'll be the reception representative yes. um and those areas of control and I think this can be upscaled to to the the levels of everybody within the practice so what you just said is really um resonated because um, the G- Green Impact for Health Toolkit has everything. And that's how I got started, literally in my practice saying, can we please have some recycling bins? Can we do this? I'm going to cycle to work. Please, can you put me somewhere to lock my bike? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get more involved, actually, like Matt was saying, why are more GP practices not? It should be, it should be mm. the GP, but actually even a higher level, it should be actually, this is done for us. Like it yeah. shouldn't be asking the already overworked GPs, nurses, yes. Yes, amazing reception that, yeah. staff who are, phenomenal um to be thinking about these changes our buildings should be made more energy mm. efficient for us and actually um you know the government should not the government the nhs from up high should have mm. written a green inhaler guide and this should be standard that we yes. prescribe this type of inhaler however getting those kind of changes mm. to happen is way out of our control and like you say if you think about that you just think oh why bother so i think sometimes a bit of the smaller stuff and then some yes. of the bigger picture stuff together can be quite a good mix but I think as you're starting out like you say whatever role you have mm. I think as a patient is really important you I was know, ask, come on to ask that, about yeah. yeah ask about patient participation groups could you give feedback to the practice um you know things like please can you put a bike lock up why is biking not being mm. encouraged mm. to the practice um the other thing is there's some fantastic social prescribing schemes so these are um prescribing community support or local um support the kind of we have these I'm trying to think how to describe so so the different uh usually a building will set up a group they offer things like therapy gardening mm. walks um that kind of thing and actually getting involved and volunteering with them could be really yeah. beneficial um because I think I think raising raising the practices awareness of this issue is is one thing but also kind of getting involved with making changes within the local community Mm. I think Matt um, was saying the other day one of the fantastic ways of thinking about this is what can you gain so rather than thinking about losing a car Mm. you gain being able to walk more rather than thinking about changing your inhalers you're losing this inhaler you're gaining a different inhaler you're gaining you know kind of what what are the gains um, yes and getting involved with the community you know um can be a massive gain yeah um, cause I was going to say, you know, it's, I'm sort of sitting here and 
in the fortunate position that you know I don't at the moment don't access the NHS sort of hugely frequently and um, so it's it's fascinating to hear about um, you know the impact and the things that can be done but um, you know obviously I can uh, be sensible in my medicine use and that kind of thing is and you've already mentioned some things Matt are there any, um, Fran are there any other things Matt we can do um, you know as maybe infrequent patients or maybe even frequent patients to um, nudge our own practices in the in the greener direction I think that there's probably I, I think about that in sort of two ways one is what can the patients or what can society what can people do for themselves and mm. healthier lives uh, is the obvious example so it is that activity to try and prevent obesity and, and heart disease and diabetes mm. it is the getting out of the cars and reducing air pollution so that you are gaining as an individual, mm. but also the community and society is gaining as well. So uh, thinking about how we uh, how we feed ourselves and you know the, the plant based diet is, is mm. far better for us as individuals, as well as being better for the planet. Mm. So I think that the patients of society has got some responsibility to try and keep themselves better, yeah. you know, healthier to start with. I think the second is uh, both for patients and to some extent for staff is. I'm very, very uh, keen on the power of one. If I said to you, you know, Rosa Parks, you know, she was one person and mm. yet led to huge change. If I said to you that there was an, a 16-year-old Swedish autistic girl that was going to lead uh, a world movement mm. to looking at climate change, you'd tell me I was crackers. You'd say, well, a 16-year-old autistic girl? And mm. I'd say, actually, you look where we are today and it is the power that one person has had that, that has That really struck uh, me when um, Fran was saying you know, about, about it was just two people got together, you know, over a cup of coffee or over a pint, decided they wanted to to do something about this. And now there's, what, 1,200 mm -hmm. practices signed up to it. And I think we mm -hmm. very often underestimate, as you said, the power of one, don't we? Yeah. And so sometimes we do have to sort of say, this is important to me. This is why I'm doing this. This is mm -hmm. why I would like you to have a listen. So I think patients getting involved, exactly as Fran said, with, uh, with patient participation groups, um, for me, it's all about trying to solve problems, not add to them. So, mm. you know, if the problem is, um, you know, ill health in the population, actually, what would be the solution to that? How could we have a look and reduce down um, some of the causes of, uh, of ill health in the first place? Um, so for me, it's it, we, we will gradually come together in, in larger and larger numbers but sometimes it just takes that, you know, one grain of sand to make a pearl, that one person to to start us on the journey to make uh, to make huge differences, mm. you know, societal differences potentially. Yeah. And I think yeah. coming from patients, that can be quite powerful as well, because I'm sure there's plenty of GP practices where staff maybe in their personal lives lead quite, um, you know, they recycle and they lead quite sustainable lives and they don't eat meat and they try not to mm. travel too much by car, but just can't even get into their headspace in the sphere of the workplace. But yeah. actually a patient comment, in a participant participation group, also um, quite a few practices have quite um, interactive Facebook pages. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I mean, um, our practices, quite a lot of practices have Facebook pages where they post up updates and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think patients suggesting it could really trigger yeah. um, trigger conversations within the practice, or maybe GPs thinking, oh gosh, yeah, that you know, maybe this is something we we okay. should could look at. Um, Feedback from patients, I think, is really important. I mean, I, over the last however many years, I mean, I've been, I've been a GP for 15, 16 years now, and the feedback from them who've said, actually, I did ditch the car and start walking. I mean, I was telling them to do it from, you know, a physical health point of view mm -hmm. as much as anything. 
but actually the you know the impact of these things or or changing the diet and coming in saying actually i needed to lose three stone and weight and i've done that because actually i've gone to a more plant-based diet i know that they're doing it for not ulterior motives because you yeah. know their, their prime motivation was to uh, uh to lose weight mm. but actually they've now got become healthier so they've reduced their risk of cancers and heart disease and yeah, diabetes yeah, yeah. um but also from a planetary point of view they have made a difference as well mm. so mm. actually that feedback from patients is really 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 um good from my point of view and i, I would encourage it yeah and, and i think- I'm- I love hearing that. I had a really good example, actually, of a lady that I spoke to who was suffering with anxiety um, and obviously not been helped by the COVID situation. And we had a long discussion and I always offer medication, but I always say, you know, it's entirely up to you. And medication is just one part of a bigger picture. And I always talk about physical activity and fresh air and getting out into green spaces. And I reviewed her a month later. She said, I never picked up those meds, doc. Um, you know, I just, I just, I've joined um, a local walking group. She oh. said, I think she was in her forties or fifties. Said they're all a lot older than me, but I actually really get on with the older generation. Yes. And I get so much out from talking to them and all these. And I felt so proud. I felt so proud of her. Um, I just thought she just, you just can't, you can't bottle those benefits. Yes. Um, and actually, as patients, maybe thinking, I'm not at all suggesting I'm anti-medication in any way. I, I give out medications as appropriate. But as a patient, it, are there other ways that you can help mm. yourself or? Or is there access for support for, for whatever your health need mm. is, especially the mental health, which is a huge issue at present. Yeah. I'd say over half my consultations are mental health based wow. or have an have a have an aspect of mental yeah, health yeah, on yeah. them. Um, and rather than thinking, I, I, you know, I think anti uh, well, mental health medication, antidepressants really have a role. I'm not at all saying they don't, but. If you're thinking about what can I do as a patient, mm. some of the other, can you think about other things? Are there local groups you can join? Yeah. Are you interested in knitting? Is there a knit and natter? Is it, you know, mm. is, is walking your thing and there's a walking group? So I think, yeah, kind of um, speaking out about it to your practice, but also um, exploring other non-medication options for yourself. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of speaking out bit, I think is hugely powerful because um, I've been sort of trying to do some bits with like my kids' school and stuff like that. Mm. And then talking to, um, we've got a few teachers in the Knackered Mums Eco Club and, and them saying, actually, to have parents come and ask the school what they're doing or, you know, come up with suggestions um, makes the, the life of the teachers who are trying to get some stuff going within the school so much easier because it kind of gives them that um, sort of mandate or that permission, you know, that they can go to their senior leadership team and say, look, we've had parents asking about this as well. It's not just little old me being, you know, a bit annoying. And, um, you know, we've got other people. So I think um, you it know, gives again, you energy. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think for me, that's what Green and Practice for healthcare professionals does exactly that. It gives you energy, it inspires you to do the next thing and to take the next step and to, you know, do one more thing than you mm. may have done before. And I think that these support networks, these green communities or green teams, however we want to describe it, is actually exactly that. It's a community. It's a network. It's a team. It's mm. a lot of us. And I think that that's where we can inspire each other. And so for me, I don't mind whether that inspiration comes from um, the cleaner, the receptionist, the practice manager, the patient. Actually, mm. I want inspiration from everybody because uh, mm. then I can help inspire more people, as can you, Jen, and you, Fran, and, and everybody else who's who's listening, mm. that uh we need that energy back, and actually, I think we then radiate even more energy back out because we've uh, because we've received it. Yeah, and you know that's a really key point around um, everything around sustainability. I think that the more and more I sort of I read and learn and things, it's this idea of actually 
and I know Catherine Hayhoe does an amazing talk about this, about, you know, one of the most important things we can do is to talk about the climate crisis. So whether that's us talking to our work colleagues, whether that's us talking to our GP, whether that's, you know, us talking to our kids, it's, I think so many people are concerned on some level about this. We're just not at the stage yet where we're having those conversations in the playground and all that kind of thing. And the more of, like we said right at the beginning, the more directions these things are coming at us from and normalising it, the more it gives us that um the more we talk about it and it becomes a um you know mm. a positive feedback loop in the nicest possible sense and, and so course for, for, sorry for I, I, I think the other thing is that um at the heart of all this for us healthcare professionals is this is about patient care and mm. you know we have a duty of care uh and number one is is our patients and actually the climate crisis is a healthcare crisis yeah, as was yeah, yeah. kind of uh, talked about um a lot in our spheres and, and taken up to cop and things because the impacts of the climate crisis are impacting on people's health and actually we have a duty as doctors to to care for our patients as a number one priority um, and and actually i think we've all discussed that as part of our duty of care we actually need to be having these conversations and raising these issues yeah. because what we want is the best for our patients and the best for our patients is to lead healthy um, fulfilling lives and and unfortunately because of the effects of the climate crisis that that is not happening for some patients mm. um, and so kind of I think that is that is the core of this is, is once there's these lovely supportive networks within GP, but actually kind of the GP patient interaction is, is about is about patients and improving patient care. Um, and, and it's kind of getting up to the political levels to get that done. That's yeah, sometimes, those dots, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, but even, I think the more conversations, like you say, with the more people. Yeah. And I think there's, there. there's lots of stats around. Um, you know the increased deaths that happen when we have heat waves and things like that and yeah. obviously they're much more likely to happen and um, yeah. you know you've already said about um, respiratory conditions and things like that so um, it's just what it's I, all sorts of things from yeah. sort of extended pollen season so people get yes, uh, you know, worse hay fever through to uh, increased uh, infection so in my lifetime I expect that we're going to be diagnosing malaria in the UK wow. you know because of uh, because of changes um but absolutely exactly what fran just said i think that uh, our first and foremost is is for health and and i think that we know that uh human health will not do well on on a hot dirty planet so if oh. we've got a lot of air pollution a lot of heat waves uh, a lot of environmental disruption a lot of um you know collapse of wildlife systems and, and ecosystems uh all of those sorts of things will mean that our quality of life for, for us and for generations to come will be impacted on that. Oh. So for me, that's why I think that we need to be doing this and speaking out about it and doing things positive uh, to make a difference. You know, for me, it's very much, you know, uh, the dream of uh, you know, an equitable planet where we can all uh, breathe clean air and, and drink oh. fresh water. It shouldn't be, you know, a pipe dream. It should be a reality for us all. Yeah, and that's that. I think is what we're working towards, or yeah. wanting to work towards. Um, so I'm really aware of time, but just just quickly, we were saying about you know the the power of a, a sort of patient voice asking um, and, and patient participation groups and things. And you mentioned the many sort of political levels within the NHS and obviously within our own government as well. Is, is there anything we can do as individuals in terms of, um, you know, maybe writing to our NHS trust or, you know, how involved are MPs in some of these decision making processes and things? You know, is there anything we can do to influence it at those higher levels as well? Fran, have uh, you got any? Go on, Fran. Oh, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think writing to MP is always a good start. Mm. Um, I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think. It, there's a, a bit of a shake-up in primary care as there is every few years in terms right. of the political structuring at the moment. Um, I think I think any any kind of 
lobbying, any kind mm. of writing, emailing people. I mean, the most the most um, emails I get in terms of kind of like, is to the MPs, is right. to the MPs, please bring this up, please, you know. Yeah, bring yeah, up. yeah. Uh, and, and local councillors as well. So um, changes happening in your local area um, and, and kind of as healthcare professionals, we sign a lot of them because, again, yeah. there's some that are specifically from healthcare professionals and then there's some that are open to the public. And I think when you put on there, you know, from a health perspective, I am concerned about, mm. you know, this we had a they're wanting to reopen one of the streets in the city of Sheffield so it all went around our our email links about um you know lobbying for it to stay shut and stay pedestrianized and from a healthcare perspective um it's interesting what you mentioned about the air pollution this is one thing that shocked me when I was doing some research for a talk recently was that we all know about air pollution and respiratory diseases but it actually um it contributes to I think it's about 48 percent of strokes and heart attacks as well so it's not it's not just it's not just the visible stuff yeah, that, yeah. that it's impacting on. So, yeah, I think as patients, yeah, and writing to MPs and any local councillors or local mm. putting opposition into any local changes and supporting local charities or um, that kind of thing would, would be great. I, I would also add that uh, people like yourself, Jenna, are leaders in the field. Now, you may not have originally designed yourself to be a leader in the field, but I would say that you are. And actually, one of kind. the things that... <laughs> But one of the things that I think inspires uh, people to take those leadership is having supporters, is having followers, is having people saying, you're doing a good job. Yes. So actually for us to say to you, Jen, you're doing a good job, do more of it, then inspires you on to do yes. more of a good job. So actually, um, you know, for patients to sort of say, uh, point out the good things. So yeah. you know, if your practice is doing, does have, you know, uh, a bike uh, rack, for example, or solar mm, panels or yes. whatever it is say you're doing yeah. a good job I want to support you in this I want you to do more of this so for me it's that sort of uh, positive uh, side of it um, it's for me about coming up with solutions it's not just saying this is a problem but it's well what are we going to do about it so there's a problem with air pollution what are we going to do yeah, how yeah. can I as a member of my community member of society help to um, to improve air quality and I guess uh, um, you know is there a role for just thinking about taking air pollution as a, as a specific thing I know you know it's something um, there are campaigning groups you know um, around and things and, and quite a lot done around air pollution around schools and things like that so could I could I maybe write to my GP and say look you know maybe my school are doing a campaign to try and reduce idling or reduce car use around the school would you mind just dropping a, a sentence or two about the the health impacts of oh. is that something that can we sort of work together like that definitely I would I'd jump if I got that letter in, in the press I would absolutely I'd be there how do we make to sure it gets to the right person the right woman in the practice who would be like yeah I'm yeah. actually doing a presentation to our local primary school next week on oh, air pollution partly because air pollution um affects a kid's ability to learn mm, so wow. children who are exposed to air pollution get worse exam grades so we are setting kids at the age of sort of 11 or 16 on a path of less able to achieve things because we've already damaged their learning wow. through air pollution. Yeah. So for me, absolutely, it's not just about yeah. the asthma, the dementia, the glaucoma, mm. the heart disease and all the rest of it. But we're affecting kids' ability to learn. So, yes, if, if I had, well, I did have a letter from the school saying, could you come and talk about Amazing. air pollution? So absolutely, yes. Um, yeah. And, and certainly through the, the Greener Practice Network, there are many of us who would be 
uh, more than happy oh, to, to so help we, out as much as we can. Even if our GP looks at us a bit blankly, we might be able to contact a, a GP. Definitely. A greener practice yeah. network who could... There's actually quite a lot going on at the moment post-COP. So quite a few GPs have been on local news, local oh, radio, yeah, just yeah, been yeah. approached from different places. So absolutely, yes, if you got in touch, it, yes, it will be yeah. jumped upon. And the other thing I was just going to very quickly mention before we end, because I forgot, um, along with the Greener Practice website, is the um, Centre for Sustainable Healthcare. And this would be for healthcare professionals they run fantastic courses. So I did the um, primary care, sustainable primary care course. There are about Amazing. four or five different courses. Um, there weren't all there weren't all GPs on it actually. Um, so I just wanted to direct if there are any healthcare professionals wanting further information. That's another great resource. Um, and Matt also has a website that's another fantastic resource. That I'll let him plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's a plug. There is a free carbon calculator for GP practices. Yes, so I've if, seen that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah. So if if GPs and practice managers uh, want to measure their own carbon footprint of their practice, they can they can do so. Uh, GPcalculator.org. Oh, sorry, GPcarbon.org. You can edit that one out. GPcarbon.org. <laughs> um, um, I know you do a lot with um, carbon literacy within the NHS as well, Matt. Don't you? Just yeah. So briefly. So for me, carbon literacy is a very important uh, foundation. If people know what they're talking about, what a carbon footprint is, what a greenhouse gas means, mm. um, actually, we can then start to have conversations with the same language. So there are there are courses for um, primary care uh, professionals, sort of practice managers and GPs, um, and that's on csustainability.co.uk. Along that's with SEE sustainability. Yes, yes, SEE sustainability, um, as are, as is information about the calculator, a decarbonisation guide. So practices can uh, go all the way through the journey from not knowing anything to having mm. a green plan uh, and uh, and a reduction plan out the other end. And I think that's really important, sort of note almost to end on, isn't it? This idea. Um, you know, and, and it's what I talk to individuals about, you know, you don't need to have all the answers to start. Like, I think, it, like I said, I've been just sort of talking to my kids' schools and things like that. And I think some of the pushback might be the heads thinking, well, I, I don't know enough about this to even, I don't know where to start. So therefore we'll just sort of, you know, wait for the kids to ask us to do something or whatever, but actually um, just just making a start, visiting a website, going on a webinar or whatever is, is a brilliant place to start. And it is just the first step and it is a cliche, but it is a journey, isn't it? It no regrets is. but start yeah, yeah. no regrets that's starting how, that, that's how I got started last year with a little newborn watching those webinars oh, that's exact, exactly where I got started and uh, yeah it's no regrets at all brilliant oh thank you both so much thank you for coming and, and spending time with us today but you were saying um thanking people for what they're doing thank you guys for stepping up and and for doing this and for creating the change that that you're creating um as you said Matt I don't think we sort of big each other up enough and say thank you enough for, and recognize all the things that people are doing so a massive thank you from all of us that's been so interesting um and I'll pop all those links and things in the show notes and you've both been superstars thank you thank you, thank very, you much. very much been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. 
or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.